Welcome to the Compete Every Day podcast, a weekly show to help you harness the power of competition to be better than yesterday. Hear each week from performance leaders, coaches, and experts on the benefits of competition and how you can use it to win at work and in life. And now, your host, Chief Encouragement Officer at Compete Every Day, Jake Thompson. Welcome back to the Compete Every Day podcast. I'm your host, Jake Thompson, the Chief Encouragement Officer here at Compete Every Day. And I'm excited you are here. If you're back, if you've been listening to the show, welcome to another episode. It's always great to see you again. And if this is your first episode, I am jacked that you are here. I'm ready for you to join this community, and I'm excited that you want to be a better competitor in life. You see, it's not about beating everyone else. It's about beating who we were yesterday and being our absolute best competitor in life. And that's what we're here for, and that's what we're here to do. And the best part about this is if you're listening to this the day it came out Tuesday, Man, we're just a day, just over a day into the new week. And a new week is full of new opportunities for us to compete and get better in our school, in our work, in our relationships, in pursuing our goals, and in our life. And I know that's why you're here, because you want to be better than yesterday. I'm excited to welcome to the show this week, Kat Osterman. Now, Kat is a Hall of Fame softball pitcher. She played at the University of Texas. She played for Team USA. She is one of the top five greatest softball players of all time. And she's here with us to talk about her transition from playing to now coaching, where she's the head women's softball coach at Texas State University. I love Kat. I've gotten the opportunity to know Kat the last few number of years through Compete Every Day. She's been an awesome member of the Compete community because she lives the message. She lived it as a player, being one of the fiercest pitchers in the game. And now she lives it as a coach and instills that same competitive mindset in her players. We get to talk about her career. We talk about the highs of winning the Olympics, and we talk about the lows of losing that gold medal game in 2008. We talk about how she rebounded from that setback. How do we rebound from what seems like our greatest life failure. In that moment, when we're used to doing so well, when we come up against adversity and we don't win, how do we respond? How does a champion respond? Kat shares what she did, how she overcame that, how she overcame injuries and kept her mind locked in and focused on continuing to compete and get better no matter what life threw her way. It's a mindset that I encourage each and every one of you to adopt a piece of this week because it's going to make you better. It's going to make you stronger, more resilient, and grittier. And we all know that success comes down to who is the grittiest, who's willing to hang on the longest. Will Smith has a quote that talks about, we may both get on a treadmill. You may be more talented than I am. You ha- may have more connections than I have. You may be stronger, bigger, doesn't matter. The only way we get off this treadmill is if I beat you or I die. He's willing to outwork everyone. That's also why he's one of the greatest actors, greatest celebrities we have today in terms of entertainment. He's built that career because he's relentless. 
Kat is just as relentless in her pursuits in sports as a player and as a coach. And today you're going to learn a piece of that so that you can apply to your life. As always, if you want to get in touch with the show, drop us a note to podcast at competeeveryday.com. If you're looking to get connected with other people that think this way, that want to be great competitors and are pursuing greatness in all areas of their life, you got to check out our free Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day. Come hop into the community, say hi, introduce yourself and get connected with other people just like you trying to be better than they were before. Now, without further ado, I am so incredibly excited about this episode. So let's kick it off and get started with Texas State head softball coach, U.S. Olympian and former Texas Longhorn, Kat Osterman. Coach Kat, welcome to the show today. I am excited. I think this is a long, long time overdue. It is. It's been a while. Uh, I feel like I've been connected with you for a long time. I, it ha- it's been a few years to compete. I'm I'm excited to to welcome you onto the show. I know I've given a little bit of an intro, but why don't you share a little bit about yourself for our listeners who are wondering who this mysterious Coach Cat is that I have been <laughs> raving about, uh, and then we'll dive in. Sounds good. Um, my name is Kat Osterman. I am a two-time Olympic medalist um, in the sport of softball. I grew up in Houston, Texas, went to the University of Texas, where I was um, a four-time All-American, four-time Big 12 Pitcher of the Year, three-time Big 12 Female Athlete of the Year, um, three-time you know, USA Softball Player of the Year, um, and then went to the 2004 Olympics, where we won the gold medal, and 2008, where we won the silver, um, played in the National Pro Fast Pitch League for eight years. So as a professional for eight years, retired two and a half, almost three years ago now. And um, I have been in the coaching circuit for 10 years. Uh, started at DePaul, um, actually came back home to a Division two school here in Austin called St. Edwards. And then most recently, I'm about to start my fifth season at Texas State University. I love that. You have experienced championship type performances and victories throughout your career. So I'm curious, what's one defeat that you remember most? Um, you know, there's a couple of them, but obviously I think the most, um, not even most recent, but just the the biggest defeat or the one that stands out the most to me is um, losing the gold medal in 2008. Um, you know, I got to start that game and all you want is to be able to continue the tradition of something as big as, you know, your country's legacy in the Olympics. And, um, unfortunately that didn't happen. And we ended up getting second and bringing home a silver medal and completely understand that meddling in the Olympics is not something everybody gets an opportunity to do. Um, but it doesn't take the sting out of losing, um, away any, any more or any less. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest one that stands out. And it was the, it was the biggest one I had to learn from too, because coming home, you just assume that that's what everyone's going to remember. And, um, at the time, I would have swore that my life was going to be defined by losing the gold medal um, in 2008. And the amount of times it actually comes up in conversation is uh, pretty minimal. Um, but at the time, you know, you think life is over, world's over. What are you going to do now? And, um, you know, it's the farthest thing from the truth. 
how did you how did you handle that coming back from a, a mindset and obviously being an incredible competitor? Mm-hmm. How were you able to rebound when you started playing again, not letting that one game weigh on you or anchor you back in that moment? Um, well, it actually took a while. I mean, I was going to answer the first question of how I handled it probably pretty horribly at first when I first got back. Um, you know, there is a there's a in something of that magnitude, there's almost kind of a little, I call it a depression. I don't know that depression is the right word, but it's what it feels like for a while is, you know, you just can't stop thinking about it. And it's obviously a lot of negative feelings. Um, but you know, I knew I was going to continue playing. So I did continue training and, um, you know, both in the weight room, running on the field, all of that. And, you know, waiting for the, I think the worst part was that happened in August and we don't play our first games until June or end of May or beginning of June the next summer. And so it's that long period of waiting to see, you know, what's going to happen the next time I take the field. And I think I started thinking what's going to happen. And then finally, after a couple months, you're like, okay, now I want to get on the field. Like, just let me play again and get this thought out of my mind. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing is once I was able to get back out on the field and you just realize that one loss doesn't mean you're going to lose every game from there on out. And, um, you know, a bunch of things that as a coach now, we, uh, we sit and preach to everybody, but it's like, once you're, if it's a, until you're in something that of that magnitude, um, it sounds silly that anyone would actually think, you know, the way I was thinking at that point in time. Um, but once I got back on the field and, you know, first game under the belt, it was like, okay, life goes on. Um, as everyone else had been trying to tell me for months, I, the reason, the one reason I wanted to ask you that is now as a coach, adversity is something you you want your players to deal with a little bit because they get better by learning to overcome it. And especially in at college when it's 18, 19, 20, 21, like the world is right there around us. And we a lot of times we lose focus on on things outside. How have your experiences at the Olympics both winning and then the silver how have those helped you in coaching your players when you guys have hit adversity or setbacks throughout the season well I think the biggest thing is it you know it's the two experiences is the highest of highs and in my mind the lowest of lows too um and so to have an experience in both of those um I can actually draw upon that and really talk about what it does. Like, I know what it feels like to feel like you're absolutely at the bottom of the pit and you don't know what's going to happen the next day. And I think sometimes athletes assume that their coaches or elite athletes that they get to talk to, it's one of those, you've always been good or you don't, your struggle isn't the same as my struggle. And no, it may not be the exact same, but struggling is struggling and there might be different degrees, but you don't know how each person um, takes it. And I think, Um, the best thing that I've been able to do in the past is talk to my athletes about both experiences, um, and talking, especially about 08, cause you know, they think, Oh, cool. It's a silver medal. And then you talk about, you know, all the feelings that happen immediately after the game, but then even months after the game and it makes them realize, Oh, kind of, it's almost like that. Oh, you're human too. Kind of thought process. Um, so then they get to hear about the adversity that, yeah, sure. It's the Olympic stage, but adversity is adversity. Um, so for me, I've been able to fall back on obviously those experiences and talk directly to my athletes about, okay, this is how I dealt with it. Or this is how, you know, I went down this road too. This is how we need to get back on track. Um, but I think more than anything, it 
it makes, makes me able to re- relate to them because they realize that, you know, exactly that adversity is adversity, regardless of if you're on the college stage in the little league level, or if you're on the Olympic level, like running into that adversity is what makes you, what makes you better, what makes you tougher. Um, and I'm able to talk to them a lot of times about that. And I think obviously it helps for me to be able to pull back on athletes that they know. And I can talk about teammates that, you know, some of them idolized or whatever, and it can be like, okay, well, this one time when she was in a slump, this is how, you know, we talked about it when we were roommates or whatever. And so, um, it obviously helps a lot for me to be able to relate to my athletes with those experiences. Yeah. What do you think, because you've played at such an elite level, you, one of the greatest ever to play your sport, what do you remember growing up playing sports that was a difficult lesson for you to learn early on, but you're thankful looking back that you were able to learn that? Was there something like before even college that you remember, man, I hated this part of it. I hated learning this, but now I'm so grateful I've gone through that. Um, I think the best part and a lot of things that, or I shouldn't say the best part, but the best learning experience. And then a lot of people don't assume happened with me, which the truth was I was never, I was not always one of the best players by any means. Um, I was actually relatively average, maybe a little bit above average for a long time. Um, and it started really young. I mean, I got, I was the only person cut from an all-star team one time, like literally 14 people tried on, they kept 13 or 16, 17 tried on, they kept 16, something like that. But I was literally the only person who didn't make it. Um, and I remember that's kind of the first time I think my eyes opened to politics, but then at the same time, it was the first time that after talking with my dad, I was disappointed, but I also didn't really care. Cause I was like, Oh, well, I'll just keep playing. Like it wasn't going to keep me from wanting to play softball. Um, so after that, we actually moved to kind of the travel softball circuit and it was the same thing. We were moving and everyone was telling my parents that I was going to sit the bench and why would you make that move? And, you know, my dad and my mom both were like, it's okay if she sits the bench, she learns how to compete and earn her spot and she'll play if she's earned it. And if she doesn't like it, then we'll figure out what she wants to do next. But, um, I think being kind of just right there in the middle of the pack, um, it motivated me. And so being in those experiences, it, it fired me up to want to work harder and to see how good I could be, um, just for me to be how good I could be, not necessarily how good I could be compared to others. Um, and then obviously the work ethic, uh, it took hold. And I think that's the one thing I've always prided myself on is, uh, my work ethic. And I think that's, you know, a big reason I was able to be as successful as I was, because as I figured out what my talents were, um, I had the work ethic to couple with it. Have you always been able to focus on how you could be your best player? Have there ever been a point in college or in pro where you found yourself distracted comparing yourself to other individuals, other players that you played with or against um, versus just trying to stay, how can I have my best game, my best play, my best pitch? Yeah, definitely. I think there were probably more, not so much in college, but probably in pro ball. Um, There were definitely two or three years in the middle where it was a constant comparison game, almost to the point of after every game, going to look up the stats and see where I compared to them to whoever else was in the leaderboard with pitching stats. And um, I got consumed by that almost so much that I forgot about the job I'm supposed to be doing. Um, It doesn't mean I did my job any less effectively, but 
it also makes you not really able to enjoy it when you're just trying to focus on things that are one out of your control, but two that really don't matter to your performance at all. Um, and so that happened probably right in the middle of pro ball and an injury actually probably is what made me realize that I was viewing my career that way at that point in time, um, got injured. And then knowing that I was coming back into a season after having a surgery and I wasn't going to probably put up the same numbers. Um, it kind of made me think back and was like, why, why were you even worried about your numbers when they've always taken care of themselves anyways? Um, but why were you so focused on that? And so when I was able to just kind of throw not expecting numbers, cause I had been injured in the off season, it pretty much made me almost fall in love with throwing all over again. And then that's when I had actually said I was going to retire and changed my mind. So, um, I enjoyed the game again and it got back to just being about one, like make every pitch the best you can, but just worry about your one outing at a time and not everything on the outside. Was there a point I'm curious when you talked where mentally it was more difficult than physically. And I, and I say that after having gone through not ever being a pro athlete, but having gone through an Achilles, a tear, uh, you laugh about like mentally not getting back to where you were, the amount of time it takes you to get back to where you were, you're being limited. That's almost as big of a battle as it is just physically going through the rehab, resting and healing. Did you have that same experience or were you able to really shorten that with a specific approach to the injury or mindset? Um, well, I had, well, I've had probably three significant injuries that have kept me, um, that have been longer recoveries than just the let's, you know, stitch it up or clean it up in your back in three to four weeks kind of thing. Um, and each one was different. I mean, one of them, one, I had a thoracic outlet surgery up in my, um, kind of by my left shoulder, actually my left clavicle and the surgery I had for that. I think that was the one that I knew recovery was going to run as close to season as it possibly could. Um, and that was mentally a grind. Um, there were times that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it. Um, I wasn't, I knew I'd be able to pitch again, but it was just the mental of, can I start season and be okay? not, not being a hundred percent, not being fully in shape for what I normally am at the beginning of season. And, um, you know, I had to finally just kind of accept the fact that sometimes again, things are out of your control and we didn't diagnose it until late. So surgery was later. And then obviously finish your rehab and your arm will be in a good place and the rest of it will hopefully eventually fall in place. And it did. And I think the hardest was my hip surgery because you can't walk for a while. You're in a, you're on crutches. You have this gnarly hip brace that I had to wear. And, um, I knew I would come back fine from it, but the longevity of it wore on me mentally. Um, and I had to, after a while, once I got out off the crutches, I had to just give myself short goals. And instead of thinking big picture and long-term, I literally had to go like two week spans at a time, like, okay, let's do rehab so I can drive again. Let's do rehab so I can do this again. And then eventually pitching was in the picture. Um, but every time I tried to look at the big picture, it got so discouraging that I would almost go crazy thinking like, this is going to take too long. Um, but I think injuries are the hardest part because what you love gets taken away. So for us, whether it's running or softball, pitching, whatever it is, you love the physical aspect and that's taken away. And so then no matter, I shouldn't say no matter what you tell yourself mentally, but mentally it's trying to 
it's very trying to try to push through that and not be able to do what your normal escape is or what, you know, makes your heart happy. Um, and so for me, it was making smaller goals and trying to keep a short picture or a short view as opposed to trying to make it too overall and broad. The one thing I love about the coaching profession is the fact of the, of the impact, I should say, and the fact that how coaches impact their players so far beyond what happens between the white lines on the field. And, and for those of us that played a sport for any number of years, like you always have a coach or coaches you look back on and think about all the things they taught you that had nothing to do with the game that you played. I know there's there's been a, an emotional roller coaster lately with with one of your uh, UT coaches recently retiring, mm-hmm. and I'm curious what you remembered most that she taught you. And then the part two of that question is: twenty, thirty years from now, what do you want your players to remember about playing for you? Um. Well, yeah, Coach. So Coach Clark uh, retired after I want to say it's twenty three years at Texas. Um, and you know, for me, she's been a great mentor, even post playing for her. Um, but I think her belief in the impact I could have on the program initially is what drew me there and drew me to wanting to be coached by her. And then while I was there, um, I guess the best way I could say is she didn't, there was no, there was no babying me or stare, you know, stair stepping me along. It was like, I'm going to throw you in the fire, but at the same time, she was right there next to me um, to support me and to make sure I was ready to be thrown into the fire. Um, As a freshman, me and the other girl, Amy Bradford, who came in, we both got thrown in the fire because our only returning pitcher got injured. And so it was the two of us. And it was like, you're either going to sink or swim. Um, But she was definitely there to make sure that we did swim and we were not, um, you know, just sinking without any help. And um, so for me to see that as a freshman, and I think that essentially is what gave me the confidence continuing my career um, was to be able to know that, you know what, I came in as a freshman and was able to, to achieve a certain success that, you know what, I have, I can do that in the future and just build on it. Um, On top of that, you know, her and I had a pretty good relationship, especially early in my career. And we were able to talk through a lot of things. And I think that was the best part. Um, of being her athlete was that there were a lot of times that we could just go sit out in left field and have a conversation. It didn't always have to be a formal meeting and it didn't always have to be um, either one of us getting defensive or anything like that. Like there could be conversation. And I think that's when I learned as an athlete, that would be the kind of coach I want to be is I want to be able to have a conversation with my, my athletes and it's not a dictatorship or it's not a, you do this. Cause I said, so, um, I want to be kind of almost a player's coach that can have a conversation and, and converse, you know, at the right times, obviously you put your foot down and, and have to remember, remind them that you're a coach sometimes, but um, I wanted to be able to relate to my athletes kind of the way she did with me. Um, So it's, it was, it was impactful for sure. Um, More in in the relationship and conversational piece. Um, My athletes, I, I would hope that, they feel like with me that they learned on top of obviously the sport of softball and pitching, but how to, how to, how to compete in everything. Um, I think that's the biggest thing I try to talk to them about is being as tough as we are on the field. Let's be 
let's have that mentality in almost everything we do. Not that everything's a competition to win, but have that work ethic and have that desire um, to be as good as you can be, whether it's being a girlfriend or whether it's being a manager of a business, you know, cause you're a businessman or a business graduate or whatever it is. Um, I want them to have that desire and figure out what it is that they really love and go for it. Um, you know, we talk about that kind of stuff a lot. Cause obviously we're playing collegiate sports because we love it and not because it's just something to do. And I want to help them find that in life and, and have them go at that as passionately as they do college softball. Um, and then obviously I hope, you know, when they're done with me that they feel like they have somebody that if, if they need to, they can call or text or, you know, whether it's softball related or not, um, that they have a coach or a mentor in life that they feel like they can go back to, because I think that's the biggest part of our job is getting them mentally and emotionally ready for the real world as well. I love that. I love that. And, and that's obviously a mindset that players benefit from, uh, especially as we well talk about in terms of learning to compete at everything. And, and the importance that, you know, winning on, honestly isn't everything. And it's funny that you kind of came up of competing more for ju- more than just winning because a lot of times winning can overshadow a lot of deficiencies and allow us to get away with certain things that we need to get better at and build upon. But a lot of athletes see that, well, we won. I don't need to work on that because at the end of the day, you know, we won versus man, I can be a better person. I can be a better player if I improve this. Uh, so I really appreciate you hitting that nail on the head. All right, Kat, if people want to connect with you, if people want to follow along with you all this season, you obviously put out a ton of great content as a coach um, that other coaches can benefit from, but as well as just listeners and competitors in life, where can people connect with you best? Um, so Twitter and Instagram, um, I have the same handle for both. It's at Kat Osterman, C-A-T-O-S-T-E-R-M-A-N. Um, I am on both of those more than anything else and like to interact there. Um, I do have a Facebook, um, I guess fan page is the correct term for it. Um, if you just search Kat Osterman, um, I'm on there not as much as I used to be just because obviously Twitter and Instagram are a little easier. Um, but those are where I kind of put out Twitter and Instagram are what I, where I put out the best content. I feel like whether it's tweet, retweeting quotes or whatever my random idea for the day is. <laughs> um, but those are the two best social media outlets to, to reach me. And I have my website, katosterman.com, but again, kind of like my Facebook, I, I have it. I don't use it as much as I used to. And, and recently, although, you know, not as recent as when this goes live, you had a special day uh, at an event signing autographs with some UT legends. How was that? I did. I got to go down to Houston and be part of the TriStar um, autograph show. And it was awesome. Um, you know, obviously I was in school at the same time as Vince Young. So while it's nice to see him, um, the off actor is not as great um, as being able to walk in and see Earl Campbell. He was kind of my uh, bucket list of like Texas legends that I hadn't met yet. So it was awesome to uh, be able to meet with him and talk with him for a little bit. And then saw Ricky Williams there and a number of athletes. I actually ended up meeting uh, Emmett Smith and Michael Irving as well. Both of them were super nice. Um, Didn't get pictures with them, but um, it was just really cool to see athletes that I've watched over the years or that I obviously know a lot about. And they paved the way both, you know, at Texas and just in sports in general. Um, And to be able to, 
one, be included in a show with them, but two, actually get to converse with them. Um, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Kat, I appreciate you coming on the show. More importantly, I appreciate you always believing in and supporting Compete. It's been just an absolute honor uh, to get to know you. And, and today was a blast. So I appreciate you carving out some time to hop on here and dealing with all the technical difficulties that we had to today. Oh, no problem. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Compete Every Day podcast. To learn more, visit CompeteEveryday.com. To connect with Jake or contact the show, email us at podcast at CompeteEveryday.com. And as always, keep competing every day to be better than you were yesterday.